Welcome to Water Solutions, where ChemAqua puts 100 years of water treatment knowledge and experience on display. Hello everyone, welcome to the first official episode of Water Solutions with ChemAqua. I'm your host Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And on today's episode, we want to continue the conversation around industrial and commercial water treatment, but this time focus in on the equipment itself, where it's useful, but more importantly, understanding the hazards for pathogen spread that this equipment brings if not maintained and utilized correctly. Here to give us his perspective is ChemAqua Engineering Manager Jerry Angelilli. Great to have you on today, Jerry. How you doing? Very well, thank you. Yeah. Good to be here, Daniel. Yeah, it's it's great to have you in the studio. I love getting to chat with people from ChemAqua because um, I always feel the passion from all of you. Um, the bar was set very high with uh, Mr. McDonald. Um, uh, so, you know, getting you in here, getting Dominic to chat on the podcast, Tony Self. I mean, everyone... Uh, everyone brings a really cool perspective, so I'm excited to, to get your perspective on this subject, which we've touched on before, but we haven't really focused in on this uh, point of view, which is more on the technology, and then expanding outwards how some outbreaks of disease because of mismanagement of some of this equipment or mismanagement of just treatment in specific areas, how that gets its way to the public and then how that sort of creates a feedback loop of new laws, new processes, new technology that influence the industry. So I'm excited to dive in. Uh, before we get into that topic, I do want to bring up one of your extracurricular activities, for okay. lack of a better word. Um, you're on the Association of Water Technologies Technical Committee, specifically the Boiler Subcommittee, and you are the chair of that subcommittee. Uh, how did you end up a part of this organization in the first place? It seems like a the perfect kind of organization to be in if you are wanting to be a thought leader in uh, building management, specifically water solutions. How I got started with AWT, I worked for a smaller water treatment, local regional water treatment company in Pittsburgh. And so that was my first association. Our blender that we dealt with, their formulator, product formulator that we used was on the technical committee and invited me to join with her. And so once I joined the organization, then as I transitioned to ChemAqua as an employer, ChemAqua was already a member of AWT. So I stayed involved in that way and then stayed on the boiler committee, went from a member of that subcommittee to a co-chair of the subcommittee to now being the chair of the subcommittee. Love that. What kind of specific technologies are you focusing on being the chair of that subcommittee? Right now, our largest central focus is how we treat steam and condensate lines to protect them from corrosion. Interesting. And the way that's done is by using a chemical called an amine. So there's also involved with that is a brand new uh, approach to boiler treatment actually using a certain type of that chemical to treat not only the steam condensate system, but also the boiler itself. So that's kind of exciting new technology. New metallurgies are coming in. Uh, boilers encompass a larger kind of spectrum of equipment than most people think. They're, Break that down for us. So we have just in two types, basically boilers are what you would have in your home is considered in a way a boiler. It is a water sure. heater using some sort of heat source to heat up water. 
That's its simplest form. Right. If you keep it in a liquid form, we call those hot water boilers. Mm -hmm. So it, we use those to heat buildings. We pump that high temperature hot water through coils to heat rooms and whatever else we need. The other type is actually making steam. Now, those are steam boilers. That's a whole different level of technology. So those are the two basic types. But we can apply this chemistry to both those types of boilers. So it sounds like there's some new technologies and new methods that are moving things forward in the boiler side of water treatment. Yes. It, are these conversations around these technologies relatively new, or did they just spring up over the last several years? They, they've been around, but its its use is being more widespread over the last few years. Interesting. With this technology, there were some standard technologies used to protect against corrosion and scale. And what were those original standard uh, we, There was a variety of chemicals. The first of all, the best and one of our most, we call it a profound water treatment state, uh -huh. statement is, if you don't want scale in your boiler, don't put hard water in your boiler. And hard water being water that contains a higher level of two really specific ions, calcium, which we've all heard of. Mm -hmm. Our bones are made of calcium. Right. Magnesium, if you ever used Epsom salts, that's a magnesium compound. So calcium and magnesium compose what we call water hardness. Gotcha. And that term came from water that was hard to wash with right. because it created scum instead of good soapy lather. So when you remove those two materials, calcium and magnesium, we now call that water soft water. Right. So if we take them out and put it in the boiler in that form without those two elements, we don't get a lot of scale. It's a lot easier to, to treat and maintain those boilers, yeah. And then we add other like polymeric type chemicals to keep that scale. Anything that, because water in a boiler concentrates. As you're making steam, you're leaving solids behind. So even if you take out quite a bit to start with, there's still enough there when in its concentrated form to form deposits. Yeah. And so we have what we call deposit inhibitors. And the other thing we always fight, if you had any kind of metal object that wasn't painted mm -hmm. and left it out that's made of steel, it forms this kind of uh, yellowy, reddish, orange stuff called rust. Yes. Well, we, that's just a form of corrosion. Right. Iron going back to its natural state. And there were technologies to protect that by taking the oxygen out of water. Like in wine, they use, if you ever get a bottle of wine and it says this contains sulfites, that's the same chemical we use in boilers that they use in preserving wine from, you know, having oxygen make that wine turn to vinegar. So the new technologies are just doing those same processes, but in a more efficient way? In a way, yes, because it's used, and it's using an entirely different type of chemistry. Gotcha. It's almost like a filming, what we call filming amine technology that protects the metal surface from both corrosion and from deposits forming. Well, cool. Thank you for that update on the boiler oh, side of the you're, water you're industry. Very welcome. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so let's get into the main topic here. Um, you know, I think we can safely say that managing the technology that goes into a building's water management or a municipality's water treatment is crucial. I mean, it, it is, it's how people bathe. It's what people drink. It's, you know, what people use to wash their food. It's you know, what people use to wash their hands. I mean, everything in between is what people use, even in more industrial senses. Um, when that isn't managed correctly, we've got issues. So 
why do you think the equipment in this industry compared to other aspects of building management or just in general, why do you think this equipment is so hazardous or so prone to creating hazards if not treated correctly? Well, hazards, again, you have to put them in perspective. Right. The, the biggest hazard with water are what we would call waterborne pathogens. Right. So that can cause some sort of disease. Uh, the other issue, not generally talked about much anymore, is that water's ability to like do something that would hurt your skin, let's say. So it, it would be related to whether that water in its natural form, if not treated properly, were more acidic or more towards the alkaline side. Probably the acidic side would hurt us most, right. give us like redness. And, and so there, every municipality takes great care in treating their water uh, with chemistries that prevent those big major swings in what we would call pH, which right. is a way to measure the acidity or alkalinity of a water supply. That's probably one that we've pretty much gotten good control over. Uh, the other thing is there are chemicals that are used in what we would call macro treatment on a large scale of, let's say, river water, that that's what's available for a city. So you have to take out certain things and you have to treat it. And one of the things they can use is different either metal compounds like aluminum. Uh, there's a chemical called alum, which one point used to, it was a leavening agent. People had it in their kitchen all the time. It's a, a major component of certain types of, of uh, baking powder. Gotcha. If you look at the, at the ingredients. So, but it is an aluminum compound and there's been some controversies on the effects of aluminum in water. If it's not properly taken out after it's used, that can cause issues. And then we were, were walk into the pathogen level, right. which I think we're going to get into more deeply, and that would be ap applying disinfectants so that in most cases, most people are familiar with chlorine. The taste and the fact that it, in your tap you, that they treat our water supplies with chlorine, right. and that is there for a disinfectant purpose, so we keep our bacteria counts low. Well, it sounds like in every sense, I think the reason why these technologies and methods are so prone to creating some kind of hazard is because it, there's such a fine line to walk. It's all very nuanced and all very specific measurements of everything that needs to be you know, from the, the chemicals you need to pull out of the water to the chemicals you need to put into the water. Yes. To the balance of, of the pH of the water. It's all very minute changes. So any slight shift in any direction can have a, a domino effect. Would, would you agree? I would. I agree. With that's, that's exactly what could happen and when things are changed. Yeah. Give me some examples of how slight mismanagement of some of those chemicals, uh, of the pH of the water, of um, how it's heated, how it's cooled, et cetera. Anything can create that domino effect. Lay out like two or three that you think are most common that um, are the ones that people within the industry watch out for the most and are most careful not to do. And, and stepping back a little bit, all municipalities have um, a system yeah. of licensing and training 
so that the people that run these plants have to be trained and licensed as a what we call a POTW, publicly owned treatment of water system, that they have to have a license to be to do that job. Sure. As an operator, so they so there's there's already oversight. Yeah. Yes, uh -huh. and then the the. The part that sometimes fails is the equipment that does it. Right. So there's all monitoring set up, but if it's not being watched closely, and all equipment has times where it doesn't work properly, yeah. it has to be repaired. So in those times, there can be glitches. So let's take the example of you mentioned, we mentioned pH. So if there's something that's there to control the pH at a certain level, and that chemical or that piece of equipment that controls that fails, then it can lower the pH of the water going out, which will then lower pH water tends to dissolve minerals more. So let's say you are trying to control in that water the iron content, which a lot of pipes are made of steel, so there's iron. You may pick up a lot more iron, and then it may exceed what the... Uh, regulations allow for water distribution for iron content. So that's probably the simplest. There are other things like we talked about disinfectants. If that equipment fails, then you might have a lower level of disinfectant. Yeah. And then the third chemical I think that's critical, which will have some ramifications in certain specific areas, there's a chemical to that's fed into certain systems where they have a high degree of pipe that had lead solder. So they feed a chemical called phosphate, and they feed it to a very low level that's approved by the EPA for drinking purposes. And But that small amount of phosphate protects that system from what we would call lead leaching and that lead getting into the water. So those are three aspects of types of equipment for treating water, that if they fail, can have problems downstream. No pun intended or pun yes. intended there? Pun intended. <laughs> pun intended. I love it. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, all these issues come from if the technology fails. Um, though, you know, we don't ever want to get to that point where it does fail and then you have to reactively fix it. Uh, I'm sure there are frequent checkups and frequent uh, inspections of the technology yeah. Um, is there any technology that's pushing for more preventative monitoring of that tech? Um, have you seen new technology come in that is able to monitor specifically, um, you know, the the quality of the valves, the quality of um, the data that's being processed, or um, if the certain chemical is coming out at the exact rate that it needs to be coming out because you don't want there to be an issue and that to be what signifies that, okay, now it's time to react to this, right? You'd like it to be more preventative. Uh, so what are the preventative measures and what technology do you think is, uh, is helping push that forward? Well, I think the newest technology that's really changing the way things are done, and that's in all aspects of our life, including this, is the real-time online monitoring of anything. And in this case, it's all those things we talked about. So that equipment, we have also increases in the technology of sensor equipment. So all of those things I mentioned chemically, those, there are sensors that can pick up those particular aspects of the water quality. And if now we put it into a program 
that is in a nice control package that can be vi visually seen online mm -hmm. and anytime and set up with alarms so that if anything goes out of range of control range where we want it, we can get almost an immediate picture and an alarm sent to something as simple as our cell phone. And for an operator, though, they can be on site and they can be at their station and see the alarm appear and a red light come on their screen. Yeah. So the new technology for mostly related to control equipment, and that's what's really changing the industry and for the better so that we can get real time monitoring instead of having to run a test. And you can run a test every hour. Right. Well, a lot can happen Within between the first hour, yeah. hour and the second hour when you run the test again. Right, exactly. Have you seen that monitoring technology improve even just in the last year or two years or so? Um, or have you already felt its impact? Has it already been implemented pretty pretty universally? It's in the process of being uh, utilized universally. But I'd say in the last two or three years, it's progressing Great. at a faster rate. And again, there's an economic aspect. As you know, I mean, we, we could probably go buy a brand new cell phone tomorrow. Yeah. And it's twice what we paid for ours two years ago. Right. So there's a cost associated with implementing this. Now, if you put it on the large scale of a municipality, well, you and I both pay water bills. Right. We don't, we don't want to see our water bills go up sure. so high that we can't even afford it. So there's a limit for any any application based on their economy right. and their economic status. So they, they're implementing these control measures and upgrading of equipment as they can afford to do so. Right. Right. So that's why it's taking a little longer than just immediately if the technology was is available, but whether or not it can be implemented on a large scale depends on the cost. Right. And you would think larger city means larger budget, means they probably need to be able to, or they should be able to implement technology like that more yes. easily. Um, but I want to break down two examples um, of two very different kinds of cities, one very large, one very small, very different kinds of budget for fixing water issues, water treatment issues, and just sort of see why in both situations this occurred and um, what could have been done to prevent it. So let's break down. We'll start with, and this one is probably known to most people, um, Flint, Michigan. Um, in 2014 and 15, Legionnaire's disease killed 12 and sickened 87 people in Flint. Um, and I think this newsworthiness of those outbreaks probably pushed the need for strict regulation of, um, of water in a municipality into the public eye. Talk to me a little bit about what happened there, um, what technology could have assisted in preventing the issue, and how you think the outbreak in general made its way into the public image in a, in a pretty tangible way. Okay, good. Well, we'll start with going back to what happened and why the whole situation occurred. And not only was it um, outbreak of Legionnaire's disease, and right? The there's spread of that. There's more to unpack right. there for sure. What was originally uh, kind of exposed in the news was the high levels of lead, right? And that goes back to my previous statement about using a phosphate material. 
So the city of Flint was purchasing water from Detroit, the city of Detroit and their water system. And they determined that it was less expensive to find a different source and no longer purchase that water. So two things occur when you change water supplies. Number one, there's a whole water dynamics change. So from the source you were getting it from before to the source you're now getting it from. Right. The consistency of that water is going to have different chemicals, different balances. Absolutely. Not only that, but the dynamics of the water, the pumping amount, Mm -hmm. the flow through that distribution system. So there's room for error in that transition. Absolutely. And that was part of the problem. Yeah. The second part of the problem was the treatment of the water itself. Right. Now, the city that they were buying it from, Detroit, had that phosphate treatment I was talking about. Mm Mm-hmm. So when Flint changed their water supply from that to their other new water supply, a decision was made not to apply the phosphate chemicals for whatever reason. I, I don't, I've heard that it was to save money. I don't know that for a right, fact. Right. All I know is they made it somebody, whoever was in charge of, uh, of that decision, mm-hmm. decided not to use that chemistry. Right. Now, what that did was remove the protection from those lead solder joints and any lead in the system from leaching into the water supply. Right. That's what caused problem number one. Right. And that's been documented. Yeah, pretty extensively. Yes. The water dynamics also stirred up. That's the change, I believe, and the disruption of the what we would call biofilm. And that would be kind of a it's a very complex kind of biological structure that's formed by bacteria, but they protect themselves because all water supplies have those disinfectants in them. So they protect themselves on the walls of piping by laying down what we would just simply call a slime layer. And it keeps them protected underneath that. So they're building their own little homes to protect themselves from a bad environment. Let's say what? the disinfecting chemistry. But when you disrupt the dynamics of the water flowing through there, then you can break some of that apart. And then that'll release bacteria that have been hiding and perfectly happy and not in your water. But it can release them into the water. And I think that's where uh, we had the incidents where you, you disrupt that biofilm bring bacteria into the water, including Legionella bacteria, that uh, previously were kind of happy where they were and in control. And it left a larger layer into the system and a larger amount. And that's what caused the outbreak, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, and then we also look at another city. Um, This is the other, I guess, newsworthy event that got the issue of Legionnaire's disease in the public eye, and that was New York City. New York had a, a smaller outbreak, um, but 11 people were sickened in 2018 by Legionnaire's disease. So you see a much bigger city, uh, more budget for this kind of thing, more infrastructure, uh, you know, their own source of water, and you get the same problem. So what do you think happened on that end, uh, and how do you think it could have been prevented? Well, coincidentally, that's a very similar system happened in New York. They have a water supply that they were getting from, 
there are two basic types of watersheds that they pull out of from the Hudson River mm-hmm. up in the north and the Adirondack Mountains. And they uh, developed another water supply and then started pulling from two different supplies rather than just one. Gotcha. And I think the exact same thing happened. Interesting. And that's just kind of when you look at what's, you look at the history of what happened, when it happened, and then kind of backtrace and see the results. And both cases, uh, we we see the same type of system. Yeah. Where the source of water was changed. And when you do that, you change that whole dynamic of the water system. Most water main systems in the country are older. We've had them there for years. Mm-hmm. And this... We're learning more and more about that little topic I mentioned called biofilm. Right. And so that's becoming, it's always been there. It's just now we're more aware of the effects if it's disrupted in a water distribution system. We're also becoming more aware of it in other types of cooling systems and building water systems. So biofilm is becoming a, I think it's the new hot topic in, in water treatment the big buzzword. Yes, it is. Yeah. So these are two big news events that made their way to the general public. And I think, like I said, it it stirred more conversation around the need for more consistent and just effective water management. How do you think that this conversation from the public maybe stirred some new laws or new processes or incentivized people to create new, more reliable technology around water treatment. You mentioned laws. Well, yeah. New York took a very quick stand in like they they wanted to make sure that they were very proactive right. and reactive at the same time. So they reacted very quickly by changing some city statutes and actually New York State implemented also statutes for specifically controlling the cleanliness and how to start out when when the investigation started especially in the New York incident they isolated the legionella strain by DNA analysis to what sickened and killed those people in the South Bronx to a cooling tower in a hotel in the South Bronx so once they match that DNA to say this is the exact same type of bacteria that that affected these people and caused the disease, then that becomes like the center of what they say is where the problem started. So the cooling tower was considered the starting point. So the laws that came after that, their reaction was specifically geared towards cooling towers. So there were all the... they in, initiated a system of cooling tower inspections on a regular basis that had never been done before, and they initiated statutes and laws on how to properly treat them and to clean them on a regular basis. And if they were out of service for a period of like five days, they had to be re-emergency disinfected before they were returned to service. So that's what was done. Now, What cooling towers are, they're very near and dear to our hearts as a water treatment company Mm -hmm. because that's one of the ways that we, you know, we, our business is geared towards is treating those. So to 
be uh, kind of directed specifically to cooling towers, that brought everybody's attention up. So the equipment related to that now becomes more, uh, it's easier to sell. Let's say if I go into you and say, well, now that you have to do this, and I need, I have this controller that'll keep your chemistries more in line, they're more apt to buy that. So that's why it's created a good transition. Now, just from a kind of a standing back overview and opinion of, of the industry of how this is, is affecting it, uh, there's a little statement that's one of those things that I like to use is cooling towers get their drinking water the same place we do. Yeah. So they're also considered amplifiers of any kind of pathogens gotcha. because it's the perfect environment right. to grow bacteria, which is why we feed biocidal agents to cooling towers to keep that controlled. So the bottom line is, though, that to blame the cooling towers only for this, I think, was a misdirection. Gotcha. It really needed to be addressed from a, a standpoint of why this happened. Earlier in the domino. Yes. Yeah. And to, to, mm -hmm. to address that issue and try to find ways to correct that. So, and I think that's being done, but the initial laws that were, that came out of that situation were specific to how to um, maintain cooling towers properly. And, and there was not, absolutely nothing wrong with that. That was a great way to go because that is necessary because they are, they are an amplifier of the bacteria of all, and other types, and they also can aerosolize water droplets, and we can breathe them. So I don't want to breathe that stuff, and I'm <laughs> sure you don't either. No, so I, I'll pass. I think yeah. those laws in general were good, but I also think we need to go a little further and attack the problem of our distribution systems and upgrade that equipment and control. I'm glad you ended on that note. Just to, to wrap things up and look at future effects of these more recent newsworthy outbreaks, um, some of the technology that you say is, is driving monitoring forward, that is taking some standard processes but revamping them, making them more efficient. As we look to the future, what technology is really exciting you that you think, if a situation like this happens again, could lead to more preventative change, could lead to just more effective reactive change, or anything in between? Uh, good question. I think the uh, there are some new exciting technologies as far as the disinfectants themselves and how they're treated. And there are areas of the country that use specific methods of what we would call primary disinfection. So there's a way that when you have a water supply, you want to make, make sure that it's pretty much treated. And in those cases, you're not so much concerned about how much is going to be left in the water as it goes to somebody's house or building. And then there's secondary disinfection. Those are the chemicals they apply that if we went to the tap right here in this building, we could find a level of that disinfectant. Right. It and, makes its way to the end user. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then there's a third level that's becoming more and more popular to people that are really concerned and want to make sure their buildings are properly treated. And so we've that's called supplemental disinfection. Okay. And what when does that make its way into the process? That would be at the end use. So it would be in the building itself. So a lot of commercial properties are going to that. 
healthcare facility problem. Uh, facilities are going to that as well. Hospitals, um, retirement homes, or or uh, extra care homes, anything related to healthcare. And uh, so, building management is becoming an a um, an important supplemental way to make sure that your water systems are safe. Do you think there's a future where that kind of supplemental disinfection makes its way into the process earlier to where it becomes more of a standard and and municipalities or, um, or entire areas try to bring it in? I don't think so because it's hard to do that when you're distributing through such a large True. system. It sort of needs to be at almost the end use for it to be effective. Yes, and I think that le- that's what's happening today, and hopefully that's a whole new growth industry. Yeah. And uh, you have to take it's like anything else. You're responsible for yourself. So the, the public can do uh, – supplies can only do so much, but when you have it in your hands – as a building owner or op- or operations system, you want to make sure that whatever you can do to keep your supply safe, you do it. So that's there's a new uh, standard that's, that's been put forth by uh, the American Society of Heating and Air Conditioning and Refrigeration Engineers called ASHRAE, mm-hmm. and it's a standard. It's 188 2015, and that. Uh, has a system in place where you develop a water management plan. And I think this was covered in maybe in a previous podcast mm-hmm. with, with Dominic, who heads up our division for that. And that water management plan can take care of any aspect of water in this building that people can come in contact with. Well, Jerry, I'd like to thank you for joining us on this episode of Water Solutions with Chem Aqua. It was a pleasure getting your perspective on some of these topics we've already talked about, um, but getting that that viewpoint of the technologies themselves, the processes that are working, the ones that aren't, and how any slight mismanagement and slight change can have a drastic domino effect that everyone needs to be keeping an eye on. But I, you know, I'm glad you ended on the facility managers and the building managers being the ones to continue to push water treatment forward, um, because like you said, it's tough for the the municipalities to do any more because the water travels such a, a distance before it gets to your tap. So finding ways to make your building, your home, your stadium, commercial property, whatever, produce water that's a little safer and more in line with your vision and your standard for um, you know the the quality of life for your building uh, is is really interesting. And it's cool to see the industry shift in that direction. And we'll definitely have to have you back on to give us more updates as that continues to develop. So, Jerry, thank you again for joining us. I really enjoyed the conversation. You're welcome. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Water Solutions. And if you like what you heard and would like to listen to previous episodes, you can head to chemaqua.com blog. You can also find our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.